Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we break down our Cracked Rackets preseason top 10 rankings, heading into an exciting 2024 season. Of course, if you've missed any of our previous episodes, breaking down number 10 Florida or number 9 Texas in our preseason top 10 D1 women's rankings. All you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. Not only will you find those episodes, you'll find our breakdown of our men's top 10 as well. We will have college content for all of you college tennis fans over the course of the next really six months as we get the 2024 season rocking and rolling. That said, the agenda once again on today's show is to break down one of our top 10 D1 women's teams heading into the 2024 season. And I'm going to stop doing this next week, but for the last time this week, a reminder of what we do on these breakdown shows is we recap the team's 2023. Did they underperform, overperform, or get things changed? just right. Of course, how does that 2023 season impact our perceptions of the group heading into 2024? That is certainly a topic we get into as we discuss the returners. We discuss the new additions. Did anyone have a breakout fall and is that fall now reflected in the ITA rankings? Of course, we also like to ask the fun questions. What's the ceiling floor for each of these teams? Who's the most valuable point as you try to project each team's lineup? What does the schedule look like and so much more. It's another jam-packed breakdown for all of you college tennis fans to enjoy. And joining me once again, as he will do on each and every one of these D1 Women Preview episodes, is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast, a man who has founded his own empire with the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast. He's a co-host of our Deciding Point throughout the course of the regular season and our dear friend. Let's welcome back to the show, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back. How are you doing today, my friend? Just living in my empire over here. So uh, I'm doing well. We are in the top eight, which is always that inflection point for these quarterfinal teams. And I'm excited to chat about this one. I think this one will get a little spicy. Yeah, it's a fascinating roster. Certainly number eight Pepperdine one we will discuss here on today's show. That's fascinating. Do you delineate when we do these preseason top tens? Like if they're number eight in your mind, it's like, yeah, okay, quarterfinals. That's got to be the expectation or better moving forward. Well, not always because my own perception of the teams (laughs) could differ than the ones that we are chatting about. So, you know, but I do think once we're starting there, it's like, well, look, you're preseason top eight. So if you don't hit it, 
that could be an under uh, underperformance. Fair enough. And again, it's always worth reminding our listeners because it is still relatively new. That final eight, it's a final site, right? The round of 16 is a home match. After that, you go to the final site, which this year's Oklahoma State. But maybe more than anything, being top eight means you host that round of 16 match. You host the first three rounds of the NCAA tournament, making life that much more comfortable for you, your team, particularly in a time when there are often finals on the schedule as well. So, yeah, a reminder that top eight race is something we will be monitoring throughout the course of the year. And I guess this is where that race starts for us uh, here in our preseason rankings as we get into number eight Pepperdine. And again, Pepperdine's a fascinating squad, a squad that has been in the top tier of programs for the majority of the past half decade. Now, the headline result, of course, was in 2021 when this team four threes uh who was the first 4-3? UCLA. And then they 4-3 North Carolina. And then they 4-3 Texas, albeit on the losing end, in that national championship match. You know, from there, some core pieces have stayed. Some have left. You could argue that run is kind of over, and we've shifted to a new face here for Pepperdine. But, you know, quarterfinals in 2022 knocked out by UNC last year, a 4-3 thriller on the road. They're knocked out in the round of 16 against Texas, a match sadly none of us were able to see, but ultimately a match that certainly was thrilling to follow from afar. And, you know, again, that in its headline self continued negative progress. You go from finals to quarterfinals to round of 16. Surface value, you would sound, you know, that sounds like a serious decline for this Pepperdine program over the last three years. I don't think that's the case, though, for this Pepperdine squad. You look at last year's team, 20 and 4 overall on the record. Now, two of their losses came indoors, where this Pepperdine team has never thrived. Four two losses to North Carolina, Auburn at the national indoors. They do salvage things with a win over Virginia. You know, they lose that 4-3 match indoors to Texas in the NCAA tournament. I think that's an important qualifier as well. So again, that's three indoor losses. The only one they'd want back is certainly the at UCLA 4-3 loss, which was their fourth loss of the season and likely knock them out of being a top eight team. And maybe them more than anyone else can point to a match specifically from last year's calendar and say, that's the one that we want back more than anything else without just the stereotypical, we'd like to play our NCAA tournament match again. You know, again, this team beat Michigan. They beat Ohio, uh, Oklahoma, they beat Oklahoma State, they beat Florida, they beat UCF. They beat just about everyone they were supposed to beat, particularly outdoors, where, again, they lost one 4-3 match. How do you assess this team's 2023? Yeah, well, they got off to a rough start. I think one of the things they would like back is the matches against Stanford and Cal being on the calendar. Both of those got canceled because of rain, which are Always really critical matches for Pepperdine, not as, being... As did in an Ohio State match later in the season. And you talk about three teams that, again, you go even one and two in those matches, you are nine in the final rankings. Like, you're very much still in the hunt, maybe even over that final hump to be a top eight team. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, the race for top eight last season was very close. There were a lot of teams, Stanford being part of it, Texas, Pepperdine, there were a lot of teams bunched up there. And so to not have the Stanford match, the Cal match, the Ohio State match, you know, good um, good flag, that that really hurt. So it felt like an incomplete season from Pepperdine yes. in a lot of ways. And 
it will always feel a little bit like that because of the conference that they're in. They go a little missing in action for a few weeks where you're just like, okay, they're rolling 7-0 wins, but they're not as part of the national conversation. So when you lack those national matches, it feels incomplete. So to me, it always felt like one step forward, one step back for this Pepperdine team. I do think last season, we were in a very similar spot to where we are today coming into the season a very limited roster, high expectations on relying on the the top of the roster. So I think overall for me, it was a slight underperformance. But again, a lot of those factors were outside of their control. Yeah, and it felt like the same story kind of in 2022 where there were just a bunch of three set, uh, 4-3 losses and that UNC quarterfinal match in Champaign got pushed indoors. You wonder how Pepperdine would have done had that match stayed outside. Like, you said it perfectly. Incomplete feels like the grade because, again, surface level, like, let's not forget, Savannah Brodus put together an undefeated 22-0 dual match season last year. Lee Cesar was 12-2 across the top two spots. Janice Chen, 15-6 across the top three spots. Even, you know, though Bunyawe Timchaiwat struggled, like, Redelick was 11-1 at five. Campana, 13-5 at six. Like, the pieces started to come together, and, you know, they're always up a match in doubles. I know Brodus and Chen went 17 and five, but like that is a number one squad. You feel confident about that number one doubles duo going into every match you played. Yeah, it just, it didn't feel right not seeing that team at the final site. It just felt a little bit off. And again, like Iowa State had the better national indoors. Stanford wins the Pac-12. Like Texas wins the Big 12 tournament. Like there, there are reasons why this Pepperdine team ultimately ended out ended up outside of the top eight, but that you can point so directly to three canceled matches in that explanation. How can you say anything under other than incomplete for a team that, again, the last two years on paper, you could argue were more talented than the 2021 squad, and this team underperformed that team in, in terms of NCAA results, and it's just like... It's been a very confounding three-year stretch. Is it? Did they pay their soul for those two, four, three wins in the quarters and semis, Jay? Some people are asking. Well, I guess it's one year for each four, three win. So maybe yeah. this is the year that we're out of that uh, deal with the devil there. But yeah, it does feel uh, like last season, they just didn't have the depth to make up for Banyawi's Tumchaiwat's lukewarm performance. I mean, she had a losing record there at number four. And because of the injury to Carolyn Campania, who was out for basically the entire season, they didn't have additional pieces to play with there. So that was hard for them. And the fact that they've now lost their last two NCAA matches indoors, that also feels like a very bitter pill to swallow for a team based in Malibu that is, you know, not playing any indoor tennis throughout the year. So yeah, we'll have to see if 2024 turns the page on a lot of these just oddities. And we are about to turn the page, but it needs to be said one more time. Sav Brodus went 17-0 last year, like playing in the top three of a lineup. I understand they're in the WCC, and I understand some big matches got canceled. 17-0. Like, I don't care what position in a lineup you're playing. If you go undefeated and you play north of 15 matches— I will remember your season. And as we head into 2024 for this team, I mean, oh. Well, ahead. let's just, I, I think her season was underwhelming. 
<laughs> I so feel- so this gets into the returners' new additions argument, and I don't mean to cut you off, but like. Is she the most significant returner? Because it is the most empty calorie 17-0 in this sense. She didn't have a massive NCAA singles tournament. She didn't have a massive fall mats or All-American to turn to. Like, again, some of it is empty calories. I, I understand where your argument was going there. And that's why it just feels like coming into t- – although, again, she gets the three-set win over Texas to keep the team alive in 3 all. Like, she did what she was supposed to do last year. But the way I watch Savannah Brodus, I agree with you. Like, I don't care how good Chen is. Czar comes back or not. It's Sav Brodus' time to step into that number one spot. Like, I do think that is one of the things heading into 2024 where it's like, all right, the talent is undeniable. Let's see you do it at the top line for a full season because I think she's capable of it. I know the results haven't been there yet. That's why even though we know the most about her in terms of the dual match resume, she to me is the most fascinating returner because I just think, you know, again, it's the last year with Chen. If Zar comes back, it's the last year with Zar. It's like, but go be the best player, Sav, because if you're the best player, now this Pepperdine team ceiling is a different level because it's like, whoa, if you're playing one, we know what Lisa Zar is, which is three hours on court always. And if Chen's playing two or three, she will have the two biggest weapons on the court in that matchup. Even if she's playing a Crawley or a Brantmeyer, like her weapons can just hang. If Sav Brodus is the number one that, I think our listeners know she can be in my mind. That brings this team to tier one. Yes, I agree. But the reason it was underwhelming is because I think we expected her to have that breakthrough her sophomore season. And she beats Fiona Crawley in that indoor match. And she doesn't make the NCAA tournament her freshman year because they had her playing at, at five or whatever it was her freshman season. And she didn't have the breakthrough in the national tournaments. She she lost to Blake, have... right, in both NCAs and I want to say All Americans. Yeah, well, she definitely lost to Angelica Blake of Stanford in the NCAA's. Yeah, uh, that was in the round of either the thirty-two or round of sixteen. And I think they played first uh, round All Americans this fall, and she lost. Yeah, so this is really the the time, right? You feel like okay, now is it like. Uh, because are we going to get Savannah Brodus top five, top 10 player? Are we going to get Savannah Brodus top 20 player? If you're a top 20 player, you're expected to go 3-0 and or 17-0, whatever she went, at the number three position. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like for her. I, I lied. She lost to Rejecki. That's who beat her in the first round of the All-Americans. But Savannah Brodus 9-5 and this fall. I mean... Look, it's fascinating because she's got a lot of wins over players she should beat, right? She beats Polk of TCU. She beats Masuda, McBride, Han, De Los Harris. A good win for her over Aguiar of Boston College as well, over Reese Brantmeyer, three sets. I believe that was All-American Consolations. Who are the losses to, though? Ansari, Pyre, Rejecki, Charney, Hamner. Like, players she needs to be beating to be the staple in the top of the lineup. And... You know, again, here's the thing. Janice Chen has proven more than serviceable at the top spot. Obviously, having Lisa's are there at two as well. Like, Savannah Brodus has not, you know, that first year, all the options they had in 2022. Savannah Brodus hasn't had to be a top two player for this Pepperdine team. 
if she becomes a top two player, then it's just, again, you have to start reconfiguring things, I think, in your mind. And so that to me is like, who is the player who I think could take another leap from a lineup perspective in their lineup? She is the one I turn to more than anyone. Because I think Redelick and Campana and, you know, again, JT, like Lisa Zar, we know who they are. It does Brodus have that other gear that when she's faced against lesser competition, she always shows. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, again, that's the headline returner. And by the way, no one owns more Savannah Broda's stock than me. Like, let the record show. And they lost at fall Nats. It was shocking her and Janice Chen. But they had another really good fall together. You look overall, I think they went 8-1 and one on the fall. So, yeah, they're still very, very good. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think Savannah Brodus could walk into the WTA top 50 of doubles right now just to consolidate my position as the— biggest stock owner in all things Savannah Brodus will accomplish in the future. But again, Brodus is back. Chen is back. She didn't do much in the fall three and one, but 12, uh, excuse me, 15 and six for her last year playing all over the lineup uh, for the waves in that top three, you know, they bring back Nikki Redelick who went 11 and one at the five spot last year, 14-1 and one overall. They bring back Anna Campagna, who after consolidating that number six spot, she goes 13-5 and five overall there in another year of growth in the Pepperdine system. Pair Pete and, and, um, and Jan do such an exceptional job. Like You feel like she'll be able to at least sustain that sort of number. The problem is, you know, again, yes, they bring back those four returners at least, you got a lot of questions outside of those four, and here are those questions. They have two freshmen, and will Lisa's our return? Like, even if all of those things break right, Zar returns and one of your freshmen hit, that's still just six players. And we know injuries and all these different things that rack up throughout the course of the year, how valuable depth is in this sport. Now, again, you really like their four returners. You may even really like the two freshmen they bring in, in Vivian Yang uh, from New Zealand, who was a top 100 junior and has had some success out on the pro circuit as well. I believe she's been ranked as high as 746 in the world. You've got Jasmine Conway, again, a former top 100 junior. She's been ranked as high as 580 in the world. It all sounds great on paper, but it's a very short paper, Jay. It's a one-paragraph consolidated paper. I mean, what do you make of this roster? Well, first of all, if I'm any other coach listening to this podcast, I'm screaming at this podcast. How on earth do you guys have Pepperdine with four players who played in the fall at number eight? It's kind of crazy. And... The two newcomers that they have are the lowest UTR players of those six. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, uh, Coach Per Nilsson must be like an adrenaline junkie or something because <laughs> this is just like playing with fire. And they really flirted with disaster last season because they had Carolyn Campagna out for the whole season. They only had six players and they did suffer that injury. So here, even if, to your point, Lisa Zar comes back, even if these two freshmen uh, really click, they still have an eighth scholarship. Like, where are the players? I really, I don't understand. Uh, it's very confusing because they absolutely need them. You cannot just rely on this top of the lineup. Now, I do think Ana Campania has 
made a nice jump this fall. I do think she and Redlick are going to be very serviceable uh, in the middle to bottom half of that lineup. But yeah, I mean, some of the teams we've left out left out of this top ten, like very warranted to be upset. Campania eleven and three overall in the fall. Um, who are the losses to to Obi Kajuru, to Honer of UC Santa Barbara, and to Connie Ma of Stanford again. No shame in any of those losses. Six and three for Redelic. Yeah, I mean, again, it's four players now. Vivian, uh, Vivian Yang, excuse me, has been playing pro circuit events. Like she's gotten a lot of matches under her belt. Had, this, oh, excuse no, me, has, not Vivian Yang. Jasmine Conway has yeah, been playing pro circuit and, matches. But, so that's the concern, though. Okay, so Jasmine yeah, sure. Conway's been playing, and her UTR is still lower than everyone else on your roster. Fifteen and, and twenty-two in the pro circuit matches she's played this year. And Vivian Yang hasn't played since July. Yeah. So where are the <laughs> I don't really get it. It I think I I'll go on record. I think we were too high on this Pepperdine team. You think Pepperdine should be outside the top ten. I mean a lot of this is projection. Even so, let's add the new hypothetical. Lisa Zar comes back. Mm-hmm. And let me just ask you a quick tangent. If you have known someone not the majority of your life, but a pretty long time now, and you send them a text and they've left you on red and it's been over two weeks, you just assume they're not responding at this point, right? Correct. Do you think less of your friendship with that person after that two-week span? Well, it depends on the context of the friendship and if this is something that is like, (laughs) you know, no, is if there's a known behavior, but if it's abnormal i would be hurt my feelings the context of the friendship is a fascinating question because how would i define my friendship with this person i have known them a very long time i don't know if we've been friends for that long but i think we're friendly enough that after two weeks i would expect a response anyways unrelated to that it's an open question will lisa czar be back or not we've certainly seen her play pro circuit events over the last six months she's had plenty uh, you know enough success to be willing to think, let's go get things rocking and rolling. I don't want to lose the points that I've already built up. But I will say the argument for the upside of this Pepperdine team is if she comes back, they have a top three that's rolling once again. And bottom half of the lineup, we know what Redelick can be. We know what Campania can be. Now we need only one of our freshmen to click. And if healthy, our starting six, we feel good rolling the balls out against just about anyone there is a continuity to this group if Czar comes back, where they bring back five of six starters, and the one starter they're replacing was, with all due respect to Binyawe Tim Chaiwat, the starter who most underperformed last season. That's the argument in favor of Pepperdine. It's just there's a lot of hypotheticals that have to break in their direction. So, like, I, I understand your argument of four players played this fall. Both freshmen not only have to contribute, they have to be really good right away if you expect this team to finish top eight. And that's assuming, by the way, that they don't fill any pieces. And one other behind the curtains thing. We're recording this Sunday, December 10th. Why do I say that? If Pepperdine doesn't announce some sort of roster addition here in the month of December, whether it's Czar or otherwise, like, shock, shock. I will be shocked because they have been too good over the years to just only have six players on the roster. It's Pepperdine women's tennis. That's just shouldn't be a thing. By well, the way, we say I, that, oh, but sorry. they had seven last year. It's true. But they at least had seven. Like six is just, I just can't imagine six. And I do want to say shout out to Ashley Leahy, who's having a lot of pro success right now, quietly made a big push down the home stretch of the year. 
That is to say, again, what, um, blanking on the doubles player who's top 20 in the world. Who um, is it, Stefani? Yes, Stefani. Thank you. Another, again, notable wave on tour. Well, I just I, The idea of them yeah. only having six is just – it doesn't seem feasible. No, it doesn't seem feasible, and we should note that we were exactly in this position a year ago recording the same podcast about Pepperdine, and they announced the addition of Anna Campania in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was released the first week of January. So – you know, there's probably more to come, but uh, yeah, it makes it really tough. Yeah, you look at the rankings right now coming off of the fall for Pepperdine. They've got three ranked waves. You look at those three again. I don't think the names are going to surprise people. Highest ranked wave right now, number 21, Savannah Brodus. Next, Nikki Redelick at 77. Anna Campania, 79. Excuse me, four ranked waves. Janice Chen currently at 96. You alluded to this earlier. Would you consider it a breakout fall for Anna Campagna? Who was who impressed you the most of the four options you have on the menu here, Jay? Yeah, I actually think Anna Campagna had a great fall. You mentioned those three losses were all to players that are ranked well within the top fifty, and you know she won a lot of matches at All Americans, and you know she had solid success at. Um, uh, at number six last season, but she's been playing really well. Let us not forget she beat Fiona Crawley at an ITF Pro event summer this uh, this summer. So she's been playing really well, and so I certainly expect her if she continues to play in those spots for Pepperdine, she'll have even more success. The question though is, there's a world where she has to play three, and what does that look like? That's a, that is the exact question. And certainly, again, we saw a higher level from her this fall. Do you feel confident about her at the number three spot? Redelick, by the way, would be stepping up from five to four, so that would be a step up no matter what as well. It's open questions about this Pepperdine lineup. You're right. Now that I look at this, knowing that we don't know if Zara's coming back or not, this is definitely the one we'll get the most grief for. But it sticks with the theme for Pepperdine. We are always buying the Pepperdine stock, Jay. It's become a time-tested habit in our three years. Who's the most valuable—and by the way, Chen Broda's number four in the doubles rankings. The teams ahead of them, Scotty Brantmeyer, Shishirbina Guzman, Stoyana Kupris. They play tomorrow. And uh, Chen and Broda's versus any of those teams. Who are you picking? Well, if it's outdoors, I'm definitely not picking Stoyana and Cooperus. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, if it's indoors, I'm definitely not picking Stoyana and Cooperus. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, look, Chen and Bros have been partners together for longer than any of those other teams, so you probably lean that way. I lean that way. I think they're the NCAA doubles favorites right now. Who's the most valuable point that defines, I mean, again, in a roster of right now six, who's the most valuable point? I mean, I think we talked about it. I think it's Savannah Brodus, uh, wherever she, wherever they have her playing, uh, just because she's going to put so many wins up on the board. And I do think for them, they're going to need to be ex- very elite at one and two, like not just like serviceable, like they are going to need to put up gaudy numbers at one and two. I'm going to go with the number four spot in their lineup, whomever it may be, whether it's one of the freshmen, Campania, Redelick. They went 21-0 at three last year. Czar may come back, but that ain't happening again. And last year, 7-8 and eight at the number four single spot. Tim Chaiwat was better than that record because she was grinding away in a lot of unfinished matches. But it, it, they need to step up at that spot. If Campania 
does see that fall level translate to the spring. And again, Zar comes back. That's where she's playing. She steps up there. Now Redelik is at five again. We know what the level looks like for Nikki Redelik there. Now you're asking a freshman to play six instead of four or five. Like, again, it's predicated on Zar coming back. But I think that number four spot, they there just has to be improvement. Like, there just it wasn't there for the Waves last year. And so that would be the spot I'd turn to. I also think there are valid concerns about Janice Chen's regression that we've seen. I think, you know, well, when she was she an NCAA made... semifinalist her freshman year, there was always going to be some regression. I would actually posit that most freshmen that are going to make the NCAA semifinals yeah, are going to go on to be like very elite college players. So, you know, and she had a, uh, she ended up playing one again for Pepperdine her sophomore season last season felt like another regression we didn't see her in the fall much granted she was playing a lot of events um, back in Asia but there's a world where she doesn't put up the same number she did in sure. you know her freshman season at Oregon so that to me is definitely one to watch and if that's the case Things start to get really dicey for this Pepperdine team. So let's talk ceiling floor then. Let's start with the ceiling. Czar comes back. How high is the ceiling in your mind for this team? It is no higher than quarterfinals. Really? Even even with Czar back. Look, Czar was back last year. They rolled out this same lineup of you know, Brodus, Chen, Czar, Campania, Redelic, and they lose in the round of 16. They're going to have the same, unless they have... Czar plus they actually fill their eighth scholarship, which if it goes unfilled, can we get the money? <laughs> like, how does that work? Because I'm happy to take it. Uh, yeah, it's it's quarterfinal for me. I do a year in Malibu. I'll take those. There you go. I'll, I'll even take the classes. It'd be worth it. Um, try and boost the team GPA. I'll just be scaling through four O's while everyone's playing serious tennis. You'll see me in the workout room occasionally. <sighs> I mean, I do think final sight is where this team expects itself to be. So I think that has to be the ceiling conversation starter. Look, if Zara's back, their top three can hang with anyone. Again, Chen, the progression. like There are really a, good top threes, though, this year. So, like, they yeah. can hang. You made a really good argument, Jay. Oh, okay. No, sorry. I didn't mean <laughs> to cut you off. I'm just saying, like, you're right now again. How good is Nikki Redelick in that bottom half of the lineup? I think she was the spot so many people doubted last year. And other than the Texas match, she just about always won. You know, again, do I have concerns about this team losing a WCC match to San Diego like or anything during the regular season? I don't know that I do. Again, you look at the schedule, the opportunities are there. Can they be a top eight seed? Like, I think that is very critical to them making the final site. And that ultimately defines their ceiling. Is that roadmap there for them? They're hosting ITA kickoff weekend where, for what it's worth, they've got a talented LSU team, LMU, San Diego State all come into town. That LSU match, I bet you're going to predict it as an upset when we do our podcast in January predict, uh, predicting kickoff weekend. I'm just going to script that in now. Wow, I mean, it's a futures bet. Yeah, exactly. There's you look at the schedule for this team this year. I don't think they've released their schedule yet, actually. And yeah, so, what schedule? Again, yeah. real seeker, adrenaline junkie is Coach Pear Nelson. I, 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 we need players. We need a schedule. Yeah. All right. So we can't even do inflection match because I don't know what it is yet. But I will tell you, it is w- worth mentioning. This team is scheduled so aggressively over the years in the best way possible. Yeah, and they have to, right? And that's what I was yeah. going to say. Like 
the, I can tell you right now what their inflection matches are going to be. They need to put up good numbers against all of the California teams. They will play USC. They will play UCLA. They will play Cal and Stanford. They need to go three and one in those matches. Yeah, that's Cal, Stanford, UCLA, USC, and San Diego, I think, has to be thrown in that tier of just like conversations of California schools they're going to have to play. They have to probably go four and one. Well, yeah, yeah, if you're going to add in San Diego, then yes. Yeah, I wonder if the Michigan-Ohio State trips will be there. Have we seen Pepperdine on anyone's schedule that we've talked about yet? Like, did Florida have them or Texas have them? I don't think either did thus far. We'll have to check the Oklahoma schedule or Oklahoma State because... Well, the one that we do know is Pepperdine is playing Florida in Lake Nona February 24th. So... Of the schedules we've talked about, that's the only one that we know. And that's similar. I did, they did that last year. There might be like a doubleheader type thing. I think they played Ohio State there this past season. So there might be a few other teams in this like Nona weekend stretch, but that's the one that we know on the on the schedule right now. Fair enough. What's the floor for this team? Like, is it? Are you worried they could lose before the NCAA third round? Well, the third round is the round of 16. Yeah. Are they going to uh, lose at home? Like, are they going to be uh, a top 16? Are they going to have to go on the road? Like, is that in the floor for this team in your mind? I think the floor is round of 32. I think there is a world where the floor falls out from this team. Inter- you think round of 30? Like, I guess, again, we have to see the schedule. If it's a tough schedule, are they going to be flirting with 500? Like, when's the last time for the record that this team did not make the round of 16 or further. I'm glad you asked. It was Pear Nilsson's first year. They made the second round. They still won their conference tournament, by the way. They made no further than the second round in any season from 2000 to 2015. Here are, by the way, the subsequent seasons for Pear since. Quarterfinals 16, quarterfinals 17, round of 16, 18, quarterfinals 19, runner-up 21, quarterfinals 22. It says quarterfinals in 23. That's incorrect. It was round of 16. But again, this is a team that is pretty consistently in that five. You know, they have finished top 16 in every year since 2016. They finished top 10 in one, two, three, four, five, six of the eight years. And this has the making for his worst season yet. Now, I think there's confidence that fast forward five weeks, things look very different as an outlook for this Pepperdine team. Absolutely. You don't have those sort of records without finding these pieces and putting them all together. But sitting here right now, it's concerning. Are they the most interesting team in the month of December to watch on the women's side? If I watch, you mean staring at Parsa's account? Then yes. To monitor. Yeah, not watch. Monitor. Yeah, they're the ones that I would circle like there has to be something coming. So wait for it. Them and them and Texas A&M. That's the crazy part about A&M is they still have another scholarship to work with as well. And again, these are all things for us to continue to discuss over the next month. And if there is any breaking news on the recruiting front, if there are any things like, I mean, we can throw this here at the end do we change with Michigan state? Like now that they've announced their thing, are we going to make on the fly adjustments? Jay is Michigan state a top 10 team in your mind following their recent announcement? Like, will we have to adjust Pepperdine accordingly? Well, no, I don't think we need to adjust Pepperdine accordingly because ultimately all the teams above them are all fantastic teams. This is a season with so much depth. So, okay. Czar comes back. Like I still feel fine about them at eight. 
right? I think right now, I think they're actually overranked. Uh, so I think they could still announce a few additions. I don't think they're going to be to the level of what Michigan State keeps rolling in week after week, but uh, I think they're fine here. Is Michigan State top 10 in your mind now on the men's side? I need to relook at it. It was certainly my first thought when I saw that announcement, which yeah. is like, oh, should we re-rank? I may have gotten texts from a certain coach asking, hey, can you push things back? I have an announcement on the horizon. I think it's going to convince you. And I said, nope. It's after December. We got to start. Um, and so it is worth considering. And again, when they announce that both Fruvertovas are going to spend January through May on Pepperdine's campus, we will have to reevaluate the ways moving forward. For now, they're our number eight preseason team. And remember, for any hate, any disagreements you have at J Tweets Tennis for the praise, for the agreements at AL Grusk. And of course, you can find us at Crack Rackets everywhere as well. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Again, college previews going to be the focus on the Great Shot podcast over the next month. So make sure you like, rate, subscribe, review wherever you listen to your shows. That said, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap this episode? No, this will be an interesting one to listen back to for sure, as is a lot of our Pepperdine episodes. So it's keeping with the theme. Yeah, again, they have this is the bit they like to do. They like to work us a little bit. And by the way, if you want to hear more of John Parsons' thoughts, no ad, no problem, blog, podcast, make sure you're listening, make sure you're reading, doing all the things you have to do because, simply put, it'll make you a better college tennis fan moving forward. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.